So guys, if I haven't met you, my name's Tom. Hey, and I'm married to Jessica, and we've got four kids. And I want to say welcome to any guests that are here this morning. We're so glad that you're with us. And Christmas is here, guys. Um, just want to let you know that. Uh, for me, like as an American, this past week was kind of like the last, there's like a moratorium on Christmas music until Thursday. And now it's American Thanksgiving's over and the Christmas, Christmas music's out. We're going to get our Christmas tree today. I'm excited. Um, Christmas often stirs up a whole bunch of emotions. Am I right? There's nostalgia. There's weirdness. There's good stuff. There's anxiety. There's all kinds of, of emotions happening at Christmas time. And so we decided as a, as a leadership, we're going to spend our Advent series kind of talking about some of the things that we don't often bring up around Christmas time. We're going to be talking about broken relationships, anxiety, depression, and fear. And uh, the reason we're talking about that is because that is the reality that most of us live in, but also we have this great hope in Jesus, and we see that he brings us the remedy for all of those things that we're struggling with. So that's what we're going to be looking at today, this whole idea of him bringing us hope. And so I I am someone who struggles with anxiety. I'm, I'm an anxious person, and this is a funny bit of information, but I I have, like, gift-opening phobia. Anyone else? Am I the only one here? Okay, it's, it's a real thing. Um, where there's this anxiety that the person who's giving you this gift, you don't want to let them down. You want them to know this is the best gift ever, even though it's not, and you don't really like it. And then you feel like you're lying. And so it's just this weird... Anyone else? Okay. So it's just this weird thing. Every single one of us. Okay. So I, I have... And that's a funny thing, but I do generally struggle with anxiety. So I am what you could call a future tripper. I live in the future often, and I'm stuck in all these what-ifs of what could potentially happen. So I, I imagine and often will literally move into these unrealities that usually involve some type of relational breakdown that could all be traced back to some deficiency in me. Always. So my heart rate increases, my stomach turns, I retreat, I replay what I said or I didn't say or what I should have said. I feel pressure in my head. I connect dots that maybe aren't even meant to be connected at all. And all of a sudden, I'm homeless. I'm helpless. I'm unemployed. I'm terminally ill. I'm alienated from the ones I love. And I'm all alone. So in these moments, the future I envision is always much worse than the present. It's always much worse than the present. And what I'm realizing is that I'm living out of touch with reality in these moments. That my mind is actually getting the best of me. And so God is not in these moments because he doesn't inhabit what is not real. Okay, so God, that's, that's that feeling of anxiety. God, you're not here. And he's like, well, that's because it's not real, Tom. That's why I'm not here. So maybe you're like me and you can live in the constant what if of life, never actually present to the moment or to the God who is right here right now or to the people who are with you. If that's, that's you... And for all of us here this morning, the good news for all of us is that Jesus brings hope. Jesus brings the hope that will flip this anxiety on its head. The beautiful gospel exchange offered to us in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus turns our anxiety into anticipation. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So if you guys have your Bibles, let's flip over to uh, 1 Peter. And we're going to read a few scriptures here. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 9. Um, let's read together here. Blessed be the Lord and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So Father, we come to you this morning ready to hear what you have for us. We come to you this morning, some of us with anxiety in our hearts, and minds and bodies and we pray that this morning god our hearts would be transformed into more of jesus's heart that we could live in the the reliance and trust that you are actually good father that you're faithful that you've never failed us and you won't fail us now and so may we be present here this morning may we be present to you and to one another and may you speak through me to these lovely people and may we leave here changed in jesus name amen anyone else have uh, disney plus yeah. yeah, I'm on a massive Star Wars kick, um, and I love those movies. But the thing I'm realizing as I'm watching the old ones, and I just finished episode eight uh, on Friday night, is this whole notion of the, the need for hope in people. And so the whole storyline is that there's this dark side and this light side, and event, like the last movie, that the darkness is, is slowly snuffing out the light. And you can sense that there's just... It, the hope is fading, and they're, they're about to just give up completely. But they, they say this, there's one guy that says this line. He says, we are the spark that will start the fire. And so there's this tiny, tiny little bit of, of hope left, and they're, they're holding on to that, knowing and trusting that that spark has the potential to create a whole fire. And it's just like, yeah, we need hope. That's what we need. And we have this, you know, in little ways at Christmas when there's like the, the calendar countdown, like the advent calendar with all the chocolate in there, all that kind of stuff. Maybe you have one of the calendars like on TV that you peel each day off and it kind of gets closer and closer to Christmas. But hope that, the hope that we're talking about is, is more significant than Star Wars or a Christmas calendar. So in the Old Testament, there are two words that are translated into hope. The first one is yachal, which means to wait for. And the other word is kavah. And this is, listen to this. The word kavah means to wait as well. But it's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. And so when you pull a cob tight, you produce a state of tension until there is release. That's kava, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. There's that tense feeling. In the New Testament, the Greek word is elpis, which means favorable and confident expectation, a forward look with assurance. Or as Dallard Willard puts it, he says, hope is joyous anticipation of good that is not yet here or is unseen. Think about right now. I mean, it's miserable weather right now, but we can anticipate with tension summer coming again. We can know that it's going to happen one day. Or think about packing for a road trip. Like sometimes it's so annoying doing all the laundry and finding the suitcases, but you know there's this tension. Okay, once we get on the plane, once we get on the plane and land and get to the beach, it's all going to be worth it. But what we're going to look at now is the story. Just I'm going to give a brief overview of the story of Scripture and how from the very beginning. It's infused with hope, and that hope sustains the Israelites, and that hope has the power to sustain you and I until eventually Jesus Christ returns. 
So bear with me as I just kind of read through this. So in the beginning of the story, we see Adam and Eve living with God in this beautiful garden, this beautiful world he created, living in perfect harmony and union with God. And though the garden is perfect, evil still existed there. And it took on the form of a snake. And so what we see the snake do, the snake tempts and eventually convinces, pulls Adam and Eve into rebellion against God. Where they, they, they are convinced that God potentially isn't even really good. And that they need to go out on their own to find their purpose and their own dominion over things. So they're tempted and fall victim to, fall prey to the temptation of evil. And in doing so, this leads to a fatal mistake. This is their fatal mistake that leads humanity toward and downward, a downward tailspin of sin and death and corruption and so much more. But here, right here in the beginning of the story, as things are looking completely hopeless, God speaks hope into the situation. So God, God speaks directly to the snake, and he speaks to Adam, and he speaks to Eve. And when he's talking to the snake, he says this, so there's going to be a, a son of Eve, and he will bruise your head, but you shall bruise his heel. And so in that, this is the first reference to Jesus Christ in the scriptures, to the one who's to come. So something's going to happen. There's going to be someone who's going to bruise your head, you personification, you embodiment of evil, and, and you are going to bruise his heel at the same time. So there's this promise of the snake crusher that's going to come. And this is an interesting promise that we don't hear much about more until we get to the story of God and Abraham, where God finds this nomad, Abraham, and says, listen, through your descendants, I'm going to bring goodness and blessing back to the world. Through your descendants, I'm going to do that. And so there's this hope that's, that's building, okay? Although sin has entered the world, though, though destruction and brokenness has entered the world, there's this hope that God is going to do something. And so first he promises that to Abraham. And then later on to one of Abraham's descendants, he says this to Judah. He says, I'm going to, I'm, from your line, a great king is going to come. And so more hope. Maybe that's the snake crusher. Maybe that's the one who's going to come and set all things to right. And then eventually we see King David, the first king of Israel from the line of Judah. And so the thought is, okay, maybe he's the Messiah. Maybe he's the snake crusher. Maybe he is the one through whom goodness and blessing will be brought back to the world. But as we read the scriptures, we see king after king fails at their duty, at their job. They too are infected with sin. They too are in delusion and darkness and don't know what it looks like to live with God. And this story repeats all the way through the remainder of the Old Testament. The prophets are intermittently saying, okay, listen, there's going to be the snake, the snake crusher is still coming. Keep your eyes on the horizon. He is going to come. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. And then eventually Israel is delivered into exile in Babylon. And the, just, the scene is hopeless. And it goes back to that, like, is there even a spark that could potentially even start a fire? Where are we here? And then, of course, who comes? Jesus. Jesus Christ arrives on the scene, and through his perfect representation of the Father, through his perfect life, through his life with God, empowered by the Spirit, and completely surrendered to the Father, we see both God revealed and humanity revealed, as he originally intended them to be. And so the interesting thing is this, that Jesus is from the line of David. Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, and Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. Okay, there's something going on here. We see that in Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension, that he is the one who will restore blessing and goodness to the world. He will be the one who will crush the head of the serpent. 
The thing is, though, that Jesus did this in a way that was unexpected to the Jews at the time. They didn't realize in their own delusion and darkness that this is the long-awaited Messiah. And they, in that state, killed Jesus. They eventually killed their Messiah. Completely delusional. But that's not where the story ends. The resurrection happens. Jesus comes back from the grave. The Genesis promise was fulfilled when Jesus claimed ultimate power over death and sin, and he rose victorious from the grave. This was the fatal enemy. This was the fatal blow landed on the enemy. And then, of course, we wait now in anticipation for the return of Christ. We, the redeemed and rescued community, we wait in hope for the return of our King. He is our hope, and we are waiting in anticipation for Him to come back, just like Israel was waiting for all those years. And that's what we live in now, that tension of the already and the not yet. That Jesus has dealt this fatal blow to the enemy, but it's not yet fully finished. And that's where we live now, is in that tension. This is, we're, we're heading towards this day when he will return and where we once and for all will celebrate his victory over sin and death and evil. We will be reunited with God and with one another. And not only creation, not only us, but creation itself will be redeemed and restored. This is our hope. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus, that God's kingdom is here and established through Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension, and eventual return. This is the story we're caught up in. This is the story of the Bible. So you may have heard that and said, okay, cool, awesome. What about my real life, though? Like, what about the difficulties I face, even coming up at, in hol- the holiday season? What about the, the people I don't want to see or be around? What about the anxiety I feel about finances or all these things? Or what about all the what-ifs of my life? Winston Churchill said this, When I look back on all these worries, I remember the story of the old man who said on his deathbed that he had a lot of trouble in his life, most of which had never happened. (laughs) It's a good quote. But you guys know this. I've said this before. We live in this weird society that is telling us that, you know, we need all this stuff and the only way we're going to find fulfillment is through these experiences. And there's this anxiety about missing out on something or not having enough that we exists in so our our society the cultural narrative that we live in is set up for anxiety to kind of be the tone of life and a recent study was saying this what are we worried about what are we anxious about and they kind of broke they interviewed a bunch of people and broke down kind of normally what people are worried about so i'll just kind of go through these statistics so eight percent of the time there are real legitimate concerns happening eight percent of the time twelve percent of the time our worries are about health 19% 19% of the time, it's, it's petty, miscellaneous worries. 30% of the time, it's things that can't be changed by all the worry in the world. And 40% of the time, it's things that never actually even happen. My, mine would probably be higher than that. The things that never actually happen would be higher. But that's, that's just a snapshot of what, you know, the people that you live life with, the people that you work with, the people that you go to school with, these are the things that are going on in their minds. This, that we're all in this state of worry and anxiety. Um, when I think about my own personal future tripping uh, experiences, there's two things that start to surface, and I kind of want to spend a little bit of time talk, talking about this. So as we were just going through the story of the Bible, who's the central figure in there? Jesus. 
Jesus. Jesus. He's the he's the he's the reason for the season. He's the he's the he's the purpose. He's the center of everything that we're doing. And so even when we're we're thinking about normal day to day life, that needs to become an increasing reality for us. So when I think about my future tripping anxieties, two things start to emerge. The first thing is that Jesus is not the object of my hope. And what I mean by that is that when I'm starting to actually think about it and drill down and spend some time processing, people and things are my source or my object of hope. And I got news for you. I will disappoint you if I haven't already. Look out. It's happening real soon. (laughs) And you have disappointed me. If not already, I need to look out because it's happening soon. Okay? We will disappoint each other. There's no way around that. There's zero way around that. I wish there was. And that's part of my anxiety. How can I not disappoint these people? It's like, bro, it's hopeless. <laughs> Point them to Jesus. Yeah. The second thing is that I find my, the object of my hope is in things and stuff. And I have this weird thing. Ask my wife. Every time I get a new piece of technology, I am so anxious about it. And it has to work perfectly right away or else it's like, this is all ridiculous. And it's like, I get into this weird, right? It's, it's weird. It's like something comes over me. It's like technology curse or something. I don't know what is happening and I'm panicking, but all those things break down. My Apple TV is not perfect. It's going to break down. My internet is not perfect. It's going to break down. And so even, I mean, that's a silly representation, but we do the same thing. If I have this thing, then I will, I I have something to hope for. I have something to look forward to. You know, like if I, if I could go on this vacation, then all of my hope will be realized. Nothing is vacations. I just want to make that clear, but this Part of our anxiety and part of the way that we live in these future tripping zones is that Jesus is not the object of our hope, okay? At least for me. The second thing is Jesus is not the source of my hope, okay? And what I mean by that is that I rely, my hope is reliant upon my circumstances staying at a certain level of comfortability. So if if things are uncomfortable, okay, I have no hope. This is not going to work. Or I thought this was going to make this different. I thought this person or this thing was going to make my circumstances different. I thought they were going to make me feel better about myself or feel better about this situation. And so the person or the thing is, is not delivering what I thought it would. And that is leading to me, being question, me questioning and having anxiety about my circumstances and my feelings. This is, this is reason to be anxious if this is how I'm going to think. Okay? Because like I said, you will disappoint me, I will disappoint you. Stuff will break and, and feelings cannot be trusted completely. Soberly, when our trust is in things that are absolutely beyond any risk or threat, and we have learned from good sources, including our own experience, that those things are there, anxiety is just groundless and pointless. It, listen to this. It occurs only as a hangover of bad habits established when we were trusting things, like human approval and wealth, that were certain to let us down. Now our strategy should be one of resolute rejection of worry while we concentrate on the future in hope and with prayer and on the past to thanksgiving. Dallas Willard. So the, the, the summary of that is this. Until Jesus becomes both the source and the object of our hope, anxiety and fear will reign in our lives. Okay? I'm going to read that one more time. Until Jesus becomes both the source and the object of our hope, Anxiety and fear will continue to reign supreme. So, how do we do this? How do we, how do we keep Jesus as the source and object 
of our hope. Um, we sang this morning about, uh, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. Um, I will put my trust in you, O Lord, and I will not be shaken. So part of, part of the, I, I love that song, but this, this, this is a little idea, I think, for us in terms of, of having our hope in Jesus as the source and object of our hope is that we need to look backwards to look ahead. Okay? So bear with me. We're going to read from Romans chapter 5, and then we're going to kind of unpack this idea. So therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. What? what? Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So God's past faithfulness is the very thing that motivates hope for the future. Okay? God's past faithfulness is the very thing that motivates hope for the future. We look to the future with hope and to the past with thankfulness. So that story that we just went through, the story of Scripture, Jesus has come and he will return. Okay? We can rest in that. He has come and we know he will return. We need to keep that in mind. It's a whole eternal perspective of things. So we're going to reread this scripture, and I want you guys to pay attention to the tense of the verbs that, that Paul uses here. Therefore, I'll, I'll add emphasis myself. Just listen, Josh, one second. An action word. It's an action word. Okay. Therefore, since we have been, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, current. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. God's past faithfulness is the very thing that motivates hope for the future. We are waiting in anticipation for the return of the king, where he will one day come and take up residence again here, and the new Jerusalem will be set up. And this is what it says in Revelation 21. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I'm up for that. Yeah. Okay. You want to talk about the grammar? Mm. <laughs> I no. I have something to add. Oh, sure, okay, go for it. Because has been, Josh, is I teach my students, it's something that has happened in the past and is guaranteed to happen Again, Ooh. experiential. Nice. That tense is experiential. Hmm. And the other tense they use is present perfect, which tells you speak it when you speak truth. Mm. Those are the two tenses. So I'm going to read it again. Experiential and truth. Okay, let's read that again then. So you said it's something that has happened and is guaranteed to happen in the future. It will happen. It will happen. Okay. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. That's, that's helpful, Carrie. Thank you. So how do we come out of this? How do we look to the example of Jesus to become a non-anxious presence? I read this story the other day. Um, Dallas Willard is someone that we quote a lot around here. But one of his students, he was, he's a, he was a philosophy professor at USC. And one of the guys he was discipling, he, he sat him down in his office. And he, he sat this, this dude down. And he said, I want you to give me your one-word summary of Jesus' life. What is, sum, up, sum up Jesus in one word. And the guy was like, <laughs> he said his, his brain was racing. Which When I read the question, I was like, how do you love, I guess? Like, I don't know. And so he actually didn't answer. And he said, I don't know, what, what's, your, what's your one-word answer, Professor Willard, or whatever he would have called him? And he said this, relaxed. So just think about that for a second. Relaxed. Think about that for one sec. Think about the stories you know about Jesus, the stories you've read, and let that kind of just sit there for a sec. And so when I think about that, I think about the immense trust Jesus had in his father. I think about the pace he would have actually just walked around the towns that he was in. How he made time for people. How he wasn't, you know, freaking out about the future because he knew his father was actually good. Which enabled him to just be present, to be relaxed. In our apprenticeship to Jesus, um, we're on a journey of transformation, right? Where we are desiring to see Christ be formed in us. Where we can relearn how to be human. And part of this, and I'm not, I mean, this is, Dallas Willard isn't writing the Bible, but I think that he's spot on with this, this summary of Jesus' life. How do, how, do we tr- how do we become transformed from being an, an anxious presence to a relaxed presence? So part of this, is, is through what Paul says in this, these two scriptures in, in Philippians. Part of, a, part of this becoming a non-anxious presence is possible through the hope Jesus brings. So Paul in Philippians 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That'd be great. That guy is so reasonable. Like, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So two things we can pick up here, and probably more, but just two for today. The first thing in becoming a non-anxious presence is right here in verse 4. We pray about everything. We pray. We have open dialogue and communication with our Father. We let Him know the things we're anxious about. We let Him know the things that we're stressed about. The relationships, the decisions, the pain, 
the potential pain, the potential relationships, all the things, we let him know. We pray about everything. We pray with thanksgiving, which goes back to our previous point here that we look forward with hope as we look backward with thanksgiving. So we pray with thanksgiving. God, thank you that you've been faithful to me all my life. Thank you that you've rescued me. Thank you that you've redeemed me. And we look backward to look ahead. So simply we pray. That's one of the things we can do to become a non-anxious presence. The second thing, and we see that, of course, in the life of Jesus. He's praying all the time. He's in communion with the Father all the time. The second thing is this. We read the Word of God. We become familiar with the story of Scripture. The story of Scripture reveals the character and nature of the God we love and serve. Okay? This, that book is incredibly important and authoritative in our lives as disciples to Jesus. So we fix, in doing so, in reading the scriptures, what we're doing is we're fixing our mind on what Paul is instructing us to fix our mind on. Because, of course, the story of scripture reveals Jesus to us, right? He is the, he's the main point of this entire book. But he, he, in describing the story and describing the God who we love and serve, this is, this is what, in my mind, a description of Jesus and the word of God. We fix our, our minds on this, on Jesus who is true, who is honorable, who is just, who is pure, who is lovely, who is commendable, who is excellent, who is worthy of praise. He is who we fix our mind on. And we get to know him as we read the scriptures. So two of the ways in which we, we can become a non-anxious presence are firstly to pray, to pray about everything, to pray with thanksgiving. We look backwards to look ahead. And secondly, we get super familiar with the word of God, the scriptures. We, we are rooted and grounded there. And we let that story to inform our hope. We look to Jesus to become our source of hope and our object of hope. How's that sit? Sits good? Okay, so in closing, guys, I'm just going to read one scripture. And then we're going to eventually take communion together. And um, I'm just trusting that God's going to write this on our hearts this morning. As we kind of look to him to become our source of hope. And just disclaimer, I'm not a psychologist about, you know, I, I briefly talked about anxiety, um, but just, there, you could, we could talk a bunch more about that, but I just wanted to just kind of share a bit of my story about that. So let's just read the scripture together, and then I'm going to just shortly pray, and then we'll get back into worship together. So let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So Lord, we look to you this morning. Jesus, you are the source of our hope. Thank you that you are our living hope, that death itself could not hold you down that you rose victorious from the grave, and that the same spirit that rose you from the, from the grave actually dwells within each of us who follow you. And so we pray that our hearts would be swept up in the grand story of Scripture, that we would realize, God, that yes, you did come, but that's not the end of the story, that you will return, that you're coming back for a bride, you're coming back for us. And so, Lord, may we fix our eyes, may we set our attention and our efforts towards you, to seeing you formed in us, and moreover, to championing you being formed in the people around us. 
like Colossus was challenging us this morning, God, we, we need one another to show up. We need one another to encourage. We need one another to, to speak the truth in love. And so may we together grasp what it is to hope in you, Jesus. May we, may we grasp together what it is to have peace with you, Jesus. And may that lead us and guide us into all kinds of kingdom fruitfulness, Lord, for your glory and for your name. Lord, let your kingdom come in Allison as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.